Fortune 500 companies trust Interoptic for optical transceivers and cables. Since 2004, Interoptic has provided high-performance optics and cables at a fraction of the cost of OEM gear. Interoptic products are 100% tested and backed up by real engineers. Work with the optics experts at Interoptic. Find out more at interoptic.com slash packet pushers. Welcome to Heavy Networking, the flagship podcast from the Packet Pushers with your internet friends, Ethan Banks and Drew Conray Murray. I know we're the voices in your head telling you to do things, but you should know that we're real people and not pretend voices. We're so real that if you message us on LinkedIn or DM us on the Packet Pushers community Slack, we'll message back. Take that information to your therapist and do what you will. Our topic today is the free and open source software network management tool, SusieQ. And our guest is Dinesh Dutt, also a very real human. As far as I know, I think I've only seen him on Zoom, so he <laughs> might be a very clever AI. Dinesh, welcome back to Heavy Networking. Uh, good to hear your voice again. You've shared a lot of time with us recently. And uh, man, let's let's just jump right into SusieQ and what it is. Uh, what is SusieQ in a nutshell? SusieQ, I originally defined it as a network observability application and a platform. Its basic idea is to be able to gather data about your network so you can ask questions of it and get answers in a relatively easy fashion. My definition of observability was your ability to ask questions and get good answers to them and how easily you can get the answers is a measure of how observable the system is. So it's basically a network observability application and a platform, uh, and its primary purpose, it's think of it as network management, but I think it's a little different from how network management people who do network management typically look at network management tools. It basically is what you would like to do with it and see the network in different perspectives. You can zoom in and zoom out both through time and space. And I'll explain later what I mean by that. But essentially, it allows you to ask questions of your network and get good answers. And this is an open source project? Yes. So... This is an open source project. I started it as a labor of love. I was done with most of the stuff that I thought I was done with tech, but I saw uh, during my time at Cumulus how network operators struggled to make sense of the network and how much they imagined doing. You know, there was one user, for example, a user of SusieQ who thought that they wanted to move away from uh, vendors like Cisco into white box, but they mm -hmm. thought like they had so many MAC addresses they could not move. So they said like, oh, you know, we would really love to move, but we can't move. How many Mac addresses do you have? Well, I think we have about 40,000 Macs and we are at the rate at which our company is growing, we'll soon be at about 120. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of Macs. What exactly are you doing? And then I said like, I don't buy that you have that many Macs. Can you turn it on and take a look? And we took a quick look using SusieQ and they had 4,000 Macs. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so even a tenfold increase would mean nothing. And so they moved. You know, we, someone, uh, a neurologist, I forget who it is, a neuroscientist once said that we are meaning-making machines. We like to make meaning, spin stories out of nothing, out of randomness. Mm -hmm. And so I think many times what happens is that our network as a system, it's it's probably the first distributed system. And as the joke goes, Distributed system is one where a computer you didn't even know existed crashed and it took your laptop down. <laughs> and so people don't really understand their network. And so I was very curious to fix that problem because of my time at Cumulus, I had evolved some ideas. And so I started it as a labor of love, an open source project. 
and pretty soon uh, people started uh, poking at it picking at it and then i started getting calls saying like dinesh we would love to deploy it yeah we know it's dinesh but if you say i think i'm tired i'm going to go home now what are we going to do <laughs> we can't have a tool lying around like this in the network can you start a company maybe i mean if there is a somebody we can turn to for support it would be good etc and so then it turned into an enterprise and uh, anybody who knows me will tell you dinesh starting a company impossible because i i'm a technical guy largely and uh, mm-hmm. but it's been a lot of fun and so i started one and so we now have an enterprise product as well which is very different it's not just support you, know, you described suzy q as uh, network observability maybe uh, hints of network management and when people hear those terms the first thing they're likely to think of are graphs they're going to think they got pretty graphs yep. on a screen but yep. I, I don't know that that's what suzy q is as i've poked yes. around at it it's yep. really something kind of different and you and you use the phrase ask questions about your network and get answers back so in that context could you help us visualize more how i would interact with suzy q give, give us an example of how i'm using the interface sure So one of the things I set out to do with Suzy Q and this was our coming out of my experience with Cumulus is we need to meet the network operator where they are not where the tool wants them to be at so I can't I decided up front that I had three primary design goals for Suzy Q uh which was first I wanted to be able to I wanted to be such that any network operator whether they were a CLI jockey somebody who preferred to point and click or a devops ninja to be able to benefit from it and make their productivity zoom up dramatically so that was my first goal the second goal was that be multi vendor and so you can interact with it and be able to observe networks which are multi vendor and third fit into the operator in a way that other tools didn't really fit on because the other tools felt like you were in a how shall i say you were outside looking in and the tool gave you this surface from outside but it never really let you get inside the house you could only see the party going on and it gave you nice visuals of because it was a glass house of the party going on inside and so it felt good looking at them but you couldn't really be in the party and i wanted a tool that the network operator could take with them as deeply as they could so from that perspective you basically have once you start up suzy q and it gathers data you can use either the gui cli or your api to be able to interact with it and ask questions a simple one the most trivial one is can i see all the routing tables across my entire network can i see routing tables based on what protocol i have what would be the longest prefix match path taken for an address through this network oh and by the way can i see the path and you know evpn is a mess to set up even though it's a standard no vendor really has it right have i done things that will allow my evpn network to look right so questions like this you can ask and because every network is a snowflake the answers are specific to each individual or their network so to speak and so that was something that i was tailoring it for so you don't have to attempt to operate in a frame that i created and say you have to now get your network to work the way this tool wants you to think about it i want them to be able to have the tool really be like the finger pointing at the moon and once you see the moon you kind of forget about the finger 
So that's what I have been trying to do. And so that's how you interact. You basically have a CLI, a GUI, depends on what you have. Maybe you want to figure out uh, you got a CVE and a customer and you know, you've said like version 17.1 of iOS XE has a problem. Do you have any of them? Where are they in your network? Maybe that's what you want to know. Or maybe someone tells you that A can't talk to B and you want to figure out where the heck is A in the first place? I don't yeah. even know where A is in my network. Or it could be something more boring and mundane, such as like, oh, wait a minute, I need an RMA because this particular line card died. Where is the serial number associated with it? These were all things that stuck around in somebody's spreadsheet, somebody's head, and I wanted to free it up so that people can all look at it and do with it what they please. Hopefully that gives you a sense. When you say ask a question, am I actually doing a natural language query question or do I need a query language or like specific commands that I would use in a CLI? How does that work? Yep. Great question. So natural language is coming in the enterprise, uh, hopefully uh, first half of this year, maybe second half. But in any case, in the open source version uh, and in the enterprise too, what you have is a, is a CLI, a CLI that is structured around a network operator. So it's not a Linux CLI. So it gives you help completions as you type. It's got lots of options. So you can look at all of the options, but it's a simple set of key value pairs. So if you want to do, you know, route show, you say a route show. And yes, I know muscle memory for everybody's show route, but I did route <laughs> show because, you know, even Cisco screwed up because they do show route. But when I have to add routes, it's IP route and route is not the first word there. It's, I mean, show add is not the first word there. It is the route object. So I just simplified everything and kept it consistent by having the object first. But you do route show and you would simply type address equals. And when you type route show, the command line keeps giving you choices that you have to type. So you don't have to know a lot. You can get started pretty quickly. Okay. So it sounds like the CLI commands are set up sort of sensibly so that I could start to intuit essentially information exactly. that I find as I, as I start to learn the system. Exactly. I mean, the number of people, one of the things that's kind of, you know, you're doing something right is when someone calls you and says like, hey, you know, I've been running Suzy Q for about 500 devices. It's working pretty well, but I found a bug. So, you know, and I didn't even know about you. So you have it working and it's doing something useful to you and you found a bug. Great. So that was, you know, can we do more? Can I do better? Always. But uh, that was the goal. And so that's how you would interact with it. And you have the GUI too, which gives you a set of useful information. The enterprise GUI is different again. The open source GUI is functional. I wouldn't call it the prettiest thing on the planet. Sure. But for open source, functional is probably what you're after yeah. anyway. Dinesh, another thing I wanted to to point out that uh, really stuck out to me as a big deal as I was reviewing the Suzy Q documentation and so on. When you interact with Suzy Q, Suzy Q is talking about the network as a whole. You ask Suzy Q something exactly. and it'll tell you everything from the, the, you're not dealing with device by device. And there are other tools that deal with the network as a whole, but so many network management systems are really kind of device by device focused. They don't exactly. have a concept of the network as a whole. Exactly. And that was one of the things that I wanted to start off right from the beginning. My goal was to have a systemic view of the network. You can look at a device specific information. You can just type hostname equals foo and you will get only specific to foo, nothing else. But you tend to want to see things across devices. And that's what I was looking for. I'm glad you were able to spot it too. So let's get into then how the product works. What would you say the 
We've talked about it at a high level. Let's let's start you know, digging in a little bit more here. I mean, it does discovery. It does uh, get get into how I'm interacting, how it's discovering the network, how I'm interacting with it from there and so on. Okay. So primarily, I would say like any device out there or any software out there that's trying to gather data, there is a data gatherer. And then there is the one where you store the data. And uh-huh. then the third is where how you interact with the data that is stored. So you have three separate pieces, so to speak. And so the part that gathers the data is what we call the polar. And the polar is, all of this, by the way, is written in Python. And a lot of people are like, well, you can't do X with Python. It's so slow. But you know, when you're gathering data, network IO is the most longest tail, so to speak. And people Mm -hmm. don't understand that network IO means concurrency and Python has an excellent concurrency mechanism and you don't have to worry about GIL so much when you're dealing with concurrency. So don't get me wrong. If I can do Rust, I would do Rust every day. I won't do Go maybe, uh, but Rust for sure. But in any case, Python is pretty good. So you use a polar to gather data about the network. So we basically have a very disaggregated way of gathering data, which means, again, one of my goals was, I want a person who's running a thousand node network to be able to gather data about as easily as somebody who's running a 10 node network. Typically, you would have tools which would say, you got to fire up Kafka, you got to fire up this, you got to fire up that, and the number of things you got to fire up before you can do something is so much. If you are a larger, because you're trying to cater to the 500 node network, that person who's running a 10 node network typically struggles a lot. My take was it has to be so trivial that you can just fire it up and not have to worry about it. So a lot of people actually ran it on their laptops for a very long time. And... uh, Don't get me wrong, your mileage might vary. The number of devices they were monitoring may be 100 devices, but still they were running it on their laptop. But coming back, you've got the polar. The polar is set up so that you can gather data uh, from various devices. We do network device discovery automatically in the sense like, you know, if you tell me that this is the IP address I want you to talk to, what kind of device it is, I will figure out by myself. You don't have to tell me that it is a Cisco IOS device or a uh, NXOS device or a Cumulus device. I'll figure out that automatically. And then for each of the devices, run specific commands. When we also support different versions having different commands and therefore different outputs and gather all of this data, pull this data in and then normalize the data. So your discovery mechanism, Dinesh, it sounds like not SNMP. It sounds like you're logging in and uh, hitting the command line and then parsing that output. Yes. I am not using SNMP at all in my software. In the enterprise edition, we added NetConf because without NetConf, one particular platform, I don't want to kind of uh, shame anybody publicly, but they know who they are. Uh, You can't pull anything out of them because you attempt to pull something out, their LACP dies or their uh, something else dies. And if you're running even got 100K routes, it's funny because Cisco's iOS, somebody was running a Cisco iOS, which is like probably five years old with Suzy Q and they were able to pull out the entire internet routing table. It took a while, like maybe three minutes, but the box Mm -hmm. kept going fine. It had no Mm -hmm. problems. But not yeah, the better. CPU didn't get hogged by everything that was being asked of it by Suzy Q. And so all the other processes got starved for CPU. Exactly. And fell over. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't have that. So in any case, the point is 
that when we gather this data, we log into the device and we pull the information out. So we do it all with uh, SSH today, or we also use REST API. So with Arista, for example, which has a fairly good REST API, we use the REST API. We are adding support for SR Linux in the enterprise that also is a REST API. But in general, we deal with SSH or REST and we are not really relying on any standards to pull the information out. So I do want a list of devices that you want me to hit and then I will detect the device type automatically. And I, of course, need credentials and we have various ways of getting credentials. You also can work off of an Ansible inventory list. So if you're using Ansible, just point me to the Ansible inventory list and I can pull the data. You don't have to define anything. Or if you're using Netbox, you can point to Netbox and tell me what tags or what query I need to run to get the list of devices. And I can hit the devices that way as well. Okay, but if I'm looking to do sort of a cold network discovery where there may be devices I'm not sure of, it sounds like I wouldn't use your polar for this. This is more for devices that I know are there. I have the IP and I have the credentials. Correct. So it is for the devices that you know you have the credentials and IP. Now in Suzy Q, once you gather the data, there is an option for you to say, show me unpolled devices. So, you know, if using LLDP, if you know that there's a device hanging off this, but you're not polling that, you can discover that you have those devices. But I do not do today in the open source device discovery where you give me a single IP address and then I kind of use either subnet discovery or log into using LLDP or some other crawl. I don't crawl. Okay. There's yeah. no spider. Yep. Okay, so you log in and what kind of information are you pulling? It sounds like device type, OS, OS version, other other things you're getting? Yeah, so I started with basically one of the things with Suzy Q is I started with one of the things that is lacking in most network tools out there is the operational state. Nothing gives you operational state in the kind of detail that I was looking at because you need that kind of detail to answer some of the complex questions. So basically we pull, you know, as you work up the stack, we pull the device, we pull the uh, version, we pull the inventory of the device, what line cards, what power fan, et cetera, mm. you have. Mm -hmm. uh, then we work up with interfaces, uh, Mac um, interfaces, LLDP. Then we work with uh, Mac addresses, VLANs, VRFs, a routing table, uh, then overlays, and we work with all the routing protocols, BGP, OSPF. Um, and then I think I'm missing a couple more. In the enterprise, we also pull spanning tree. We pull a bunch of other tables that are uh, specific to certain platforms like device tracking table on iOS devices. We also support wireless in the enterprise, uh, but we pull this kind of information so we can do things like, you know, track MAC addresses across wireless, uh, as it moves across wired and wireless networks. But uh, you can basically get all of this information and we pull all of this information, then normalize it. So when you're asking, so all the rights are device specific. So, you know, the right that I pull out of Juniper will be something that I will have to parse that is Juniper specific. But once it's written out, it's largely independent of the device. So when you want to do LLDP dis, uh, neighbor check, so if you say LLDP show, a Juniper comes configured with a MAC address as the name information that it gives you. Not the mm -hmm. interface name, but the MAC address. But I ignore all that. I use the MAC address because I've pulled all the information. I can resolve it into an interface name. So when you see it, it doesn't matter to you whether the device is Juniper, Cisco, Arista, you get a unified view of whatever it is that you're seeing. So you can be platform agnostic in what you see. Okay, so you've essentially come up with kind of your own data model to have a sort of a generic description for the variety of different ways that devices on the network will tell you who they are and how they're connected to other devices. And how they also 
you know, store information, right? I mean, if you think about IP addresses, Juniper stores the interface and the speed on the basic, you know, XC000, but the IP address is stored on XC000.0. So I try and abstract that to the extent possible, but not to the point where an operator looks at what SuzyQ says and then looks at the device and can't make out what the heck am I saying. So I'm not mm-hmm. trying, I'm trying to normalize it to the point where they don't have to be so device specific, but also not to the point where they're completely at sea, where they have no idea what is the Suzy Q telling them and what the device itself is telling them. Okay. Normalized, but not obfuscating or making it more obscure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we pull all of this information out, uh, normalize it, and then you're good to go. You're off to the races. And then by off to the races, that means I can start asking questions. Exactly. You can start asking questions of it. And we have the data gathered really fast. One really large financial tried us out with a competitor. We were able to gather data across 1,500 devices, I believe, in their network. I mean, we were going so fast, we were outrunning their attack hack servers. So their attack hack servers were timing out. So we had to slow down. So that's one of the things. The open source has all of this, uh, whereby we give you the ability to slow down uh, uh, pulling data out of devices and also to be able to slow down for a specific device. You could have, for example, someone was running it on a 24-port old iOS box. So you you sent it more than one command every five seconds, it died. So we basically slowed that so that you could say, this is a slow host, slow down how quickly you ask it for information. Uh, but we were able, we were done in uh, a fraction of the time that the others were taking and we could, they could ask questions right away. Let's pause for a message from our sponsor, Interoptic. Interoptic is the optical transceiver and cable specialist that maximizes your IT savings while minimizing network failures. Interoptic provides high-performing optics at a fraction of the price of brand name optics. The Interoptic experts can help you spec the best optical transceivers and cables for your network environment. Interoptic optical transceivers are 100% guaranteed to be operationally equivalent with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, Brocade, Palo Alto, and many other switches and routers. Due to Interoptic's deep optical transceiver technical experience, they can ensure that all messages, alerts, alarms, and threshold data are equivalent to OEM brands. Interoptic deploys rigorous 100% testing on their devices before they're shipped. Interoptic optical transceivers are built to the exact same quality standards as the OEMs and typically come from the exact same manufacturing lines. That's why insurance companies, retailers, financial services, and federal and state government customers deploy optics and cables from Interoptic. You can purchase the same, if not better performing, optical transceivers tested and backed up by real engineers at a fraction of OEM costs. Find out more at interoptic.com slash packet pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet pushers. And now back to the podcast. So you preface this as being a kind of a network observability tool as opposed to a network management tool. And maybe that's a discussion about how you see this being used. What, what do you mean by observability and what do I as a network engineer need for observability? That's a great question. And I think it's one that lies at the heart of how networking is done today. As I see it, the fundamental problem is that network operators have a lot of questions about the network. They have a lot of things that they want to know, but they can't really figure that out because there is no easy way for them to figure that out. So either what I saw while I was at Cumulus is every network operator does the following. They log into a box, depending on what it is that they're trying to do, they log into a box, 
figure out what is there, figure out who they are connected to, log into the next box, and they build in their own head a cognitive map of whatever the task it is that they are trying to do. And depending on how many times they log into the box, you know, they know some things are already there, which is good in a way, but also bad because if something has changed, they don't run that command, they don't know that it has changed. And so they're running off of false information. So this ability for a network operator to be able to observe a system deeply means that you are no longer limited by just counters. I mean, most people who use SNMP today, as far as I know, run interface counters, environmentals like CPU, temperature, memory, and that's, and fan, and power, and that's pretty much it. So they're mm -hmm. running off of just that. They don't know. So if they see a network graph, an interface graph blip, they don't know why it blipped. And what I wanted to do was get beyond the graph, because as someone uh, said, uh, you can't uh, debug it with a dashboard. I wanted to get past that view to be able to let you go deep inside and look at what is going on. So from what is the difference between observability and management? I believe observability is about really understanding the system and the task that you're using it for is completely different. Whereas a management application has got a predefined set of dashboards. It alerts you about what it knows about and what happens outside of it is largely, dude, not my problem. Whereas what observability tools, a good observability tool should let you do is, it could be anything you want. You wanna be able to get that information very easily. So for example, one of the things like I mentioned at the start is you could get uh, end of life. One of the users said, I have an end of life. I don't know by looking at a serial number, I don't know where this device is. If I have it in my spreadsheet or in my inventory, that's great. But if I don't, it's a bit of a pain for me. And many people have evolved for that pain by writing it down somewhere or putting it in a spreadsheet, but many don't. Or as you were pointing out, Drew, there are some devices which uh, they didn't know or they, that got added on and so they didn't actually take the time to put it down. So finding information for whatever your case might be as a network operator, it should work. Management tools are largely alerting tools that tell you, I get a pulse. Yes, you have a low heart rate. I mean, the interface is blipped. Mm -hmm. But why? You don't have anything beyond that. So unobservability lets you go deeper. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you can dig deeper or ask questions that might not be uh, for issues that not, might not be dashboarded. Exactly. Okay. Or yeah. also dashboarded. One of the other pieces that you realize very quickly when you're dealing with a system is the amount of information coming at you is huge. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so the ability to be able to say, look, I don't want to be able to look at this much information because again, too much information is painful. And there is this famous quote I have, or this not uh, this line that I love from T.S. Eliot's Wasteland, which is, where is the knowledge we have lost in information? Where is the <laughs> wisdom we have lost in knowledge? And where is the life we have lost in living? And I think about that when I first read it, I thought that really reflected what I saw of network operators. They had information, but they couldn't really, because the information was too much, they couldn't really build a knowledge around it because there was no easy way to kind of, you know, shoehorn it into an understandable piece. So you always had snapshots like the blind men and the elephant example. And then mm -hmm. when they 
could do a little bit they never because they could not build the knowledge the ability to build wisdom which is see patterns was impossible and because they couldn't see patterns they couldn't automate which meant that they were always living not having a life so i was looking at that so from that perspective one of the things that suzy q does when i say zoom out in space and time is you can pull back and say show me summarize so every table has a summarize so you can say a route summarize and it will tell you by the way you have got the following prefix length distribution by the way you've got five protocols and the five protocols are the following you have got a default route in all of the vrfs or you don't have it in a bunch of vrfs it gives you a summary information of what i originally thought was important and put it in and if people want it changed the community has come back and suggested changes we make those changes so that you have a very quick birds view of what is done and to give you an example of that someone said the way we do inventory management dinesh is once we plug everything and we put it into netbox or we you know give the list of static ip addresses or using ansible inventory whatever it is we have the device plugged in we do a device summarize or an inventory summarize and it tells us how many power supplies are there if the power supply number is not even i know that we are off by a power supply hmm. that wasn't a use case i envisioned but that's hmm. what a deeply observable system lets you do it lets you ask questions that you didn't think about i've got creative potential here with this tools what it sounds like to me which yes. in some ways can be very liberating but also potentially very frightening if i don't know what to create do you have like kind of a starter guide to help folks get used to this model yeah that is where i think Uh, I spent so much time creating the world. I didn't build, give you the map with it. I have tried to do that a little bit with some of the community meetups, and I put out a few YouTube videos. But one of my focuses for this quarter, uh, and I say that every quarter before, but I'm really serious this time, is to actually put out how do I uh, guides which tell you how to use Suzy Q when you are trying to do something. and what kinds of questions can you ask and how to ask them so that's one of my goals for this quarter i want to write that because i think without that map it sometimes can get to be confusing one of the things i'm taking away from this is uh what i'm getting with suzy q is is some context and let me, let me put it to you this way yep when a network is simple enough and small enough you can go with a simple management system that does the dashboards and the alerting because the context is provided by the engineer who probably built most of that network If that yep. line goes red, that engineer knows what that means. It means yep. the impact of the rest of the system is going to be X. Beyond a certain scale or certain level of complexity, particularly if you're running uh like an overlay, something like that where it begins more it gets more difficult to map what's going yep. on in the underlay and translate yep. that into what's happening in the overlay, you need a system that you can ask the questions of to provide you that context around what this red thing is and what it means. And Suzy Q is going to give me that. exactly and sometimes you don't even have to go into overlay it can be a simple classical you know access aggregation core network and in there you can tangle yourself up in knots with vlans so for example one of the people was doing network refreshes wanted to understand what vlans have no mac addresses in them how do you ask that question today so suzy q allows you to ask i didn't think about asking those kinds of questions at all because i'm at the end of the day as much as i try to sit inside the network operator's head i'm not a network operator i've never operated a network in my life so Which my links that are a part of an ecmp bundle have out discards yes so to be fair you know i'm an engineer so i don't want to bs 
today i don't gather interface stats so i can't tell you that specific one but uh, <laughs> but <Sorry>. you know <laughs> no not at all not at all because i think again my point in building suzy q at the end of the day like i said was a labor of love i wanted to give back to the network operator something that they could use so even though we have an enterprise product and it has more bells and whistles and features i call it bells and whistles i said bells and whistles but i was kind of i think that was a half crack joke or a bad joke it has a lot of features that allow you to actually work with for example if you're trying to say what change between time a and time b we have a mechanism that allows you to look at that fairly quickly and easily in the open source you are pretty much eyeballing it or you are doing writing your own python programs and complex stuff to try and figure out what to do but the bottom point is i want to keep the open source very very alive and viable it's not a bait and switch hmm so i would so again going back to what started suzy cute was a labor of love and i think i've always been an open source bigot i have run linux 0.99 from the time 0.99 was available and i never ran windows uh so i would like to keep that part open and that's my way of giving back to the community in some measure what i have received and to help them manage their networks better let's talk about some practical stuff dealing with uh with suzy cute dinesh how do i deploy it what is required to get it set up on my network so what you need is a network <laughs> if if you if all your network is in the cloud this isn't going to help you much uh not right now at least so you need a network that you operate and obviously you need some level of authorization uh to actually uh, deploy a tool uh you need a laptop or a server a lot of people have just run off of their uh, macbooks or their laptops or a little server that they knew they had sitting somewhere mm-hmm. uh it it needs to be running linux you could deploy it i mean a bunch of people who ran it on docker used python on docker or docker on max to be able to not python on docker i meant to say python on max or docker on max to be able to do it but typically most people have done it with linux and you need to be able to have a modern intel i7 or equivalent processor so one user was like hey i have deployed one with 16 cores and it was one device from 2008 cpu so i can't help it so it's not just uh, the number of cores it's also a more modern uh, i7 uh, mm. or equivalent with four cores the more cores you have the better but again if you're running a 25 node network a 50 node network four cores is plenty and 16 to 32 gigabytes of ram uh, that's not a lot today again off a laptop and about 100 gb of ssd and when i say 100 gb of ssd just to give you a sense that's assuming you're going to be gathering data for a very 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 long time so today we have a an enterprise user who is running suzy q uh, for the last year 2500 devices they gather data every period period 5 minutes 10 minutes and every single thing that has ever changed in the network in that time that they have gathered over a year I have stored all of that in about 35 gigs of disk space. Wow. I was not expecting that. Yeah. So that hmm. catches a lot of people by surprise. That, you know, that it can be so lightweight. That the components are simple because again, you know, the classic example, who's watching the watcher? If the observability system starts lying to you, then it's a bit of a pain. because now you can no longer rely on it and once the trust is broken it's really hard to get it back and so it's it's 
you know no tool is perfect it's it's got bugs so you have to learn to it it'll evolve so that's one of the things but on the other hand it also needs to be fairly accurate so sometimes i'm conservative in what i can do simply because i don't want to overshoot overpromise and then figure out that i actually screwed up some user because they had a different set of assumptions but yeah we store it in a very light amount small amount of disk space and uh, memory in terms of usage so you're saying the polar that I need to run to find the devices, uh, the data storage, and then the interface, be it CLI or UI, I can run all from one laptop or one server? Yep. Well, Many okay. users are still doing that. Hmm. And I'm saying like 50 devices. And, you know, they have uh, an EVPN network with about 40K routes. So it sounds like if I've got a larger network, maybe I do want to go up yeah. to a server. But again, yeah. this is not like buy a whole rack of gear to get this up and running. It's No, you don't need to buy a whole rack of gear. You don't need to buy a nuclear power, sub, power substation to go with it. <laughs> you, you, you don't need an architecture like uh, multiple polars or the polling engine separated from the storage and query engine? So we do all of that without having to do all of that. So basically we have a polar, but the polar has workers and they are all completely stateless. So when you launch, and this is in the open source too, you can basically say, hey, I want you to start with 10 workers because you realize that, you know, about 50 devices per worker is the best that a worker can do before it starts to slow down a lot. And so 50 times 10 is 500 devices. So I can manage 500 devices with uh, 10 workers. So you just say that and then we take care of the rest. And you can run and people are running with the storage being S3 or an Azure hmm. device or they are running it in the Azure network. They're part of their Azure network. I don't have a SaaS or anything, uh, an Azure network, but it's then reaching into their network and pulling all the data, but all of it is running in the Azure cloud for them or the uh, AWS cloud for them. Okay, so I, if I do have uh, public cloud services, I can run this myself in my public cloud to get observability into my public cloud network. Interesting. Oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Just to be clear, I don't do any observability of a public cloud network, meaning okay. I don't do the infrastructure. Yes. You can run, instead of running it on a server on your, in your in, in premises, you can run it in the Azure cloud is what I was trying to say. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to be very clear. One thing I don't want to do is mislead people. Yep. Same here. So, <laughs> yeah. So you can uh, pull the data out. And so people have been using it with S3. They have used it with Ceph file system. So the mm -hmm. storage doesn't have to be local. It can be distributed, but it is local from the perspective of the use. And in the enterprise, we support distributed uh, setup. So you can run workers on different machines using Kubernetes. So you can run, you know, you can scale up that way. Okay. So I, we might have touched on this already, but it's so you're calling this network observability, not network management. So it doesn't sound like you're necessarily positioning this as a replacement for the traditional network management system that I've already got in place. And you can name your favorite SolarWinds, Paceler, Nagios, et cetera. There's a million others. Do you see this more as additive next to, or chuck the other thing and, and bring mine in? You know, one of the problems with most tools that I notice is that they basically say my way or the highway. And again, I did not want to have users say my way or the highway. I wanted to be able to work with what is there already. So today, if you're running SolarWinds, Nagios, et cetera, you gather interface statistics, which I don't gather today. I mean, okay. I will add that. But so if you are doing that, yeah, this would run next to them. 
but you probably have nothing that does what suzyq does today in your network so in which case it is not a replacement it's an additive uh, mm-hmm. from that perspective uh, but on the we are going to be adding interface statistics and all at that point it becomes your question of you know what do you choose to do because in the enterprise what we can do is also interact with third party databases which means today we have a user who says like you know I, where do i store my policy my policy back to our discussion last week my policy is in cisco ice i want to verify that all of these mac addresses only get dhcp assigned we can pull the data out of ice mix it with the data that i've gathered from the suzyq runtime state of the network and then tell you oh yeah these mac addresses have all been assigned with dhcp as you expected the policy you defined said or no it did not so we don't have to ra- replace anything but we can when we add interface statistics it's a choice you can make to say we'll throw it out you mentioned netbox uh, or suzyq being able to reference netbox and use it as a source of truth or use it as a pull this tag every pull everybody that's got this tag and and so on yep is there bidirectional communication there does netbox pull data from suzyq in some way no today netbox does not pull any data but one of the things that we are doing in the enterprise and again it's the enterprise so i want to be very clear uh, we are doing the bidirectional communication so you, we can, we can allow you to say take all the information that suzyq has gathered and populate my netbox state because you know what i have don't have the luxury of a greenfield network it's a brownfield network and i don't have the time to sit down and put in and document everything so suzyq as a network documentation tool is another use case and in the enterprise you can push all of that into netbox so you can if you use netbox as a source of truth or not a bot you can have that happen so documentation is a use case uh that we're we're raising yes. here we've talked about yes kind of troubleshooting i think is sort of implied as a use case uh yep. are, are there other significant use cases we should raise dinesh sure the primary ones that i have seen r- regularly and when i say primary and regular what i mean is like this is what i see people do day in day out uh with suzyq either as a user or as an enterprise customer uh is basically the first one and the most popular one is just fabric wide visibility they just want to know where things are and that is the number one use case that and the primary reason why they do that is now they say we don't need to have junior admins be able to go uh, access devices they can get all the information they want about their network without ever compromising the network because suzyq does no right operations i just need a read only account on the device uh-huh. and so they can get all the information and in the enterprise again we have our back so you can control what information user see but in general you get system wide views which is secure the second most common use case is network refresh and redesign uh, so whenever people are doing network refreshes or they are doing redesigns they use suzyq to gather the information state of the network they figure out they want to redesign it by throwing away a bunch of vlans and then they uh, after the refresh is done they want to make sure that everything is back to normal hmm. so that's the second use case the third common use case that i see is actually um this is in the enterprise more but people have done uh, and written blogs about it in the open source as well to use it which is they basically look at it as a low code or no code network validation so they basically make a change to the network mm-hmm. and once they have made a change to the network you know the problem with tooling today with network tooling is once you have made the change you don't know how to validate that change because making a template change is somewhat and i say somewhat relatively easier compared to pulling the data from all the devices parsing it 
tagging it, then trying to match it all so that it makes sense in a unified way. All of that is a far more complicated programmatic work than just pushing a template. So basically you can now rely on Suzy Q using the APIs to get pull all of this information. So you get the systemic view, the fabric wide view, so to speak, that you can run your validation. In the enterprise, again, we have got the ability to do all of this without having to write any code. But in the open source, you can use code. And like I said, people have written blog posts about it on how to do it. The next use case is network documentation, which we talked about, troubleshooting, which we talked about. So users also, in terms of troubleshooting, if they find an issue, uh, I know of users who say that we now require you to attach a SUSE queue output to your bug, uh, to the ticket, to tell us that, A, we see the problem and this is a SUSE queue output, and B, uh, when you are closing the ticket, to attach the output indicating that the problem is gone. So troubleshooting from that perspective as part of your ticket management, et cetera. Audits and compliance is the other thing that we talked about. People have been using it to figure out, uh, you know, do they have devices that are out of compliance because they've got a CVE out there or IS database says X uh, or some other database says X and their devices are not actually compliant. Or in the case of one other user, a large industrial warehouse, they run industrial warehouses, they want to make sure that people haven't attached unauthorized devices to their network. Hang on a second about the about the CVE you know, testing that. That means yep. CQ has got knowledge about uh, some kind of a database that's telling me what version is on this, what NOS might be running on this particular device is subject to some kind of vulnerability and you've got access to that information somehow. Sorry, you picked on a very specific point. I don't have <laughs> access to specific CVEs and tell you whether those CVEs affect these devices. But if you look at and you say, hey, the CVE says version 15.5 of this OS uh, mm -hmm. has this, if I have BGP implemented in my network, you can answer that and say, show me all the devices that have 15.5 and have BGP. Ah, okay, okay. Right. So if you know contextually that you're looking for this particular yes. vulnerability and know how to ask the question of the things Suzy Q knows, you can then for get a report back and go, these are the boxes we got to address, team. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it does sound fairly straightforward because that information in the CV would point you directly toward those devices that have that, you know, are that version and have that configuration. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, you are saying it's easy to do that? If you had Suzy Q, or you're saying it's easy to do that without Suzy Q as well? No, I'm saying the, the point of Suzy Q is that it makes it a lot easier when you get yes. that, that CVE yes. pops up in your email and you're like, I got to yes. go check this. No, in fact, it's yep. it's not easy to do. Um, it, exactly. it, it is a feature that some network management tools that you you pay dearly for have baked into them where they'll, they will interact with some CVE database and tell you, Right. Oh, CVE blah 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 is uh, is is alive and well on this box. You need to patch it. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll do that in the enterprise version. Uh, but uh, and I say we'll do it again to indicate that it's not on our roadmap in any way. So you know, if you come running for that feature, you may not get it right now. Uh, but uh, again, as an enterprise user, you can prioritize things. But it's in the open source. People have been using it exactly as you said, Drew. Which is, I got the information, I pull the information out. Yeah. And and you've already committed to other uh, priorities this quarter, Dinesh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Drew. This is one of the things that everybody yells at me for. Dude, you said you would write document. Why the heck are you now sitting and coding this feature? Oh, uh, you know, one of the re things that I realized in writing the cloud uh, native network, uh, cloud native data center networking was 
as much as i love writing i think i love writing code more <laughs> so ivan yell said to me he says like dude you if you take 50% of the time to write the code the other 50% was to is to write the document and he does a pretty nice job of that but i am terrible i don't know writing takes a lot out of me and uh, i seem to want to create these worlds far more than i want to show the maps for it but in any case yes you're right drew i will do that <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing that uh, people uh, do is they do proactive health checks so you know they run the asserts that we have to be able to verify that nothing has changed that is causing their system to break so for example one of the users had an assert problem whereby they ran bgp assert and it told them that the other end of their uh, enterprise which was connected to an isp had changed their asn so the bgp sessions they had going out of their enterprise to the isp one of them was down so if for whatever reason the other one went down their enterprise would be isolated they had gotten the ticket from the or the notice from the isp saying you need to change but they as like everything else lost it in living and uh, they basically used suzyq bgp assert and it said like by the way this is down on this and they went what oh shoot and so they went and fixed it so proactive health checks too so that's the other use case Okay Dinesh uh two questions before we close uh first can you maybe just quickly highlight the differences between the open source and the enterprise versions i think we've touched on it you know back and forth as we were talking but just if you have a quick summary yeah the primary thing i would say is everything in the enterprise as you would expect of an enterprise product is built with far more robustness you know it evolved from the same code base but when i look at the enterprise code now and the open source code the code has evolved substantially from there so it works better the algorithms we use for doing various things is better for example if you do endpoint tracking which is also in the open source uh, in the enterprise we can track 10000 endpoints in 10 seconds whereas to do that in the open source would probably take you an hour uh we also are far more efficient in our querying and our uh, disk storage and the amount of memory that all of these different components take because of the way we do certain algorithms so there in some cases you will be seeing like a tenth or a hundredth of the time it takes the open source take uh with the enterprise and outside of that we also have features we support more platforms in general uh we talked about wireless devices we also talked about sr linux we also support more tables we support spanning tree we support a bunch of other tables dhcp snooping and a bunch of other tables that we support which is not in the open source or the wireless stuff and then the other part is we also interact with third party databases uh, so we can pull data from third party databases and be able to integrate that with suzyq and finally we have two big uh, we have an enterprise gui obviously which looks very different and is far more polished and sophisticated than the open source but the two other features that are pretty big are what i call the asserts so we have a validation model whereby you just write a list of asserts and the asserts are imperative they are declarative so in yaml mm-hmm. you basically state i want to do x or i want you to assert this of the network and we will validate all of that and some of it is pretty i thought thoughtfully done because and i only say that because one of the enterprise users when they were talking to us about the demo and everything when i presented it to them they actually went ah 
because they were so thrilled with how well it worked for how they were thinking about it. And the last part is querying. We allow you to be able to stitch data together across complex, uh, in complex ways. For example, you can ask questions and I'm, this is just an example of how, what is the average time it takes for a BGP session to come up on my leaves compared to my spines? This requires you to look at interface state, BGP state, bunch of other things, do some computation. Doing that in open source across tables is not possible. You can do all of these in enterprise without writing a line of code. Yeah, okay. So that's the other thing. So in general, more features, more robust. We also have a lot more testing done. So it's far more performance scalable. And then all these additional features we have. Now we've added this ability to be able to look at uh, diff in a network very elegantly so that you can figure out what changed much more easily. So there are just tons of things like that that we have added. But those would be the high level stuff that I would uh, like to say. And of course, we have RBAC, which is very important for users to figure out can, you can only do this or that. And finally, something that exists in the open source as well, and I would like to highlight, is we have this thing called remote CLI, where basically you can have your CLI running on server A, and you have all the data, everything being gathered on server B, just run the rest server on that server, and your CLI uh, running over on this other machine can easily interact and get all the information. But because everything is built around an API, the CLI, as far as it's concerned, is just using the API underneath to pull the data. So you don't have to have your CLI local. You can be running it in a VM on your laptop while your data center is somewhere else. So when you're, as long as you're VPN in, you don't have to be on the server running the device. That's also in the open source to be very clear, but it's in the enterprise too. Okay, that's enterprise and open source. Okay, and last question is, why is it called Suzy Q? Where did that name come from? <laughs> So, uh, you know, one of the things is, as I was thinking about names, I kind of, you know, it's a time, it's a day and age of Alexa and Siri. So I wanted it to be a name of a person, a more proper noun than net brain, net IQ, net whatever. And I'm uh -huh. not picking on any product, which may or may not have those names. I'm just saying, I didn't want it to be something like that. I wanted it to be a name like that. And uh, just like Lucy, the old skeleton was named because uh, the anthropologists were listening to Beatles, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds when <laughs> that was going on. I was listening to CCR's Suzy Q. Yeah, and you know, okay. Suzy Q has the three lines in it, which really struck me as one of the goals for Suzy Q, which is, oh, Suzy Q, uh, tell me that you'll always be true. Tell me that you'll always be true and never leave me blue. Oh, Suzy Q. So I was like, yeah, I don't want my network tool, the operate, the tool that they mm -hmm. use to understand their network to ever leave them blue <laughs> and <laughs> never so leave them like that. So Suzy Q, that's how it came about. The you, other you can... choice I had was MFN, uh, money for nothing, but it was metrics for nothing and your analysis for free. <laughs> uh, I love you... dire straits. And so I was choosing between them, but I like, like I said, MFN sounds more like a corporate name versus Suzy Q sounded much more uh, personal. So Suzy Q Definitely more friendly. And I, yeah. this may be the first heavy networking where we've had network observability uh, tied into T.S. Eliot and Creedence Clearwater Revival. So we're, we're going high, we're going low. We get, we get the whole cultural mix here. Yes. Uh, well, thank you, Dinesh, for being on the show today. If people want to download it, is uh, is GitHub the best place? GitHub under the NetEng Labs uh, hierarchy? 
uh, if you go to GitHub, actually we have it in PyPy, uh, which is the Python library. So you can do yeah. a pip install suzyq, or you can do docker pull netenge colon suzyq, and you can pull it out that way as well. So you have both Docker and PyPy to do it. You can, of course, pull it off of GitHub and use Python to do everything yourself. That's also possible. So those are the three possibilities, PyPy, Docker, and GitHub itself. I had one last thing I did want to say, uh, Ethan is Suzy Q has a Slack as well. So please use a Slack to ask questions, interact with the community, et cetera. And if you want to read more about Suzy Q, you're out there listening, suzyq.readthedocs.io. Uh, all the documentation for Suzy Q is there. Claudia DeLuna, who's been on the show a couple of times before recently here, gratuitous-arp.net. She's got a article on Suzy Q from uh, some of her work that's quite extensive and got a lot of screenshots if you'd like to look at it from that perspective, but download it and give it a shot, I think would be the best way to go. So once again, Dinesh, thank you for spending time with us to talk about Suzy Q. And back to you, wonderful audience member. Very special thanks for listening all the way to the end. If you like the show, would you leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, and, uh, and tell your friends. We want more people to be listening to Packet Pushers Heavy Networking. I have been Ethan Banks, along with Drew Conray Murray. Follow or connect with us on LinkedIn. You could message us on LinkedIn or Slack or furrow your brow very deeply at your favorite internet connected router and chat with us that way. We're happy to hear what you have to say, including your ideas for future episodes. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>